You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. So I sometimes listen to a podcast called Invisibilia. It's, have any of you guys listened to it? Yeah, NPR. Yeah. So it's a show all about the invisible things that shape our human behavior, like our thoughts, our emotions, and our beliefs. And one of the season two episodes uh, starts out with the story of a guy. Hold on, I gotta catch my breath. This pregnancy thing. <laughs> Dropping that paper threw me off. Okay. Okay, one of the season two episodes starts out with a guy who uh, hates celebrity culture. I'm okay. And um, he talks about how he can't stand that nowadays. People can be celebrities for just about anything, for the clothes they wear or for whoever their father is, right? So at one point, he decides that he is going to do a little social experiment and become a celebrity himself. So he invites all of his friends who have cameras to be paparazzi and to take photos of him on the street. And sure enough, he's standing there, you know, this crowd is gathering and there are strangers who are stepping up. We've all seen this before, right? You don't know who the celebrity is, but you're eager to take an iPhone picture or whatever. And this guy is starting to realize, you know, at first it's wild and hilarious, but then by the end of the day, he's kind of loving it. He's got all these adoring fans who are recognizing him and following him into the bodega, that kind of thing. And he starts to realize that this is, this is kind of an addictive thing. He really likes it. And so what started off being this role that he was faking soon became something that he really wanted. Soon became something that was changing him from the outside in. And the whole focus of this podcast, this episode, is set up with this story. The episode is about changing from the outside in. So when you step into a role, or I would add when you change a behavior or you change your environment, can it change you on the inside? You've heard that saying, fake it till you make it, right? Well, how well does that actually work? If you just rearrange the things on the surface, will your internal motivations, your beliefs, those things that are at the foundation, those values of who you are, can they follow? Can they change? Does change happen from the outside in? And I was wondering what you guys think about that this morning. Can you think of any examples in your own life where you've changed because of something that you did on the outside and it influenced who you are on the in, on the inside? Maybe um, it was your environment at work, right? The culture that you participate in. Maybe it is about the clothes that you wear. Maybe the holidays are coming. Maybe it's, it's something that you remember every time you go home and you regress back to that 16-year-old you once were, right? I'm just wondering, do you guys believe in this whole idea of changing from the outside in? And then there's our spiritual lives. So many of us, we separate out our spiritual lives. We um, separate God from the rest of our lives, so much so that we actually have to make conscious choices, conscious decisions to make room for God in our lives. I was talking to a newlywed at the women's fall party just last week, and she was saying that the reason she comes to Forefront, we're sharing those stories today, by the way, the reason she comes is because she and her husband made the commitment that after they got married, they would start to attend regularly. And I don't know if that has changed them from the outside in to commit to that pattern or that rhythm of living life in community. But I do remember how influential that decision was for me over eight years ago when I decided to commit to being a part of a ministry team and having a service role and a team that I was held accountable to and having to show up every Sunday to serve the bagels and the coffee. Over time, that greatly changed who I was on the inside and it, it's actually affected everything about how I live my life today. So the reason we're talking about all this 
is because today, the word that we're sitting in, this Hebrew word that we're looking at today, is mitzvah, which means commandment. And I found it interesting when I started looking into some research about this and what the Hebrew people and the Jewish people still believe about mitzvah, is that they truly believe that what you do is far more important than what you believe. Faith is not just about your thoughts and your beliefs and the things that you think about. It's about the things that you actually do in this world to live out love and to promote justice. So fulfillment of the mitzvot, which is mitzvah, plural, is an expression of dedication of love to God and to your fellow human beings. And many believe that you know, it's honoring out the covenant between God and his people, but it's about much more than just our speech or our thoughts. It's about our actions and how we make those practical choices to live out that love every single day. So even if your motivation, many people believe, even if your motivation is uh, not entirely pure, you should follow the mitzvah anyway, because um, many people believe that it's an outside-in thing. You begin to live in God's ways for your life, and eventually you will learn pure motivation as a result of living in accordance with God's will for your life. There's this great rabbi from the third century who said, be eager to fulfill even the smallest mitzvah and flee from transgression, for one mitzvah prompts another mitzvah and one transgression prompts another transgression. I can certainly relate to that. But before we go too far into all this, I wanna back up and give us a little bit more of a definition of this word. So this past week, I actually recorded a Midrash NYC podcast with a guy named Rabbi Orr Rose, who runs an interreligious program out of Boston um, for Christians who want to learn more about Jewish principles and ideas. And this word mitzvah, commandment, is one of those key principles he wants to teach. So I talked to him a little bit about what his thoughts were around it. And yes, you know, we talked a little bit about good deeds because commonly people think of, of a mitzvah as a good deed, right? But in its true meaning, mitzvah is understood as a deed through which a person seeks to fulfill the divine will. As in good deeds and charitable giving are things that we do because they make us feel good, right? But commandments are something that you do because you're required. Because through your faith, you have obligations in this world. You are commanded and obligated to do something to make the world a better place. And this is something that I think we can definitely agree on as Jews and Christians alike. This idea that God sees human beings as partners in restoring creation, right? And an ongoing plan to, um, to restore and renew the world. And so when you carry out a mitzvah, you honor the image of God inside yourself and in others. You commune with the Lord. You honor this love from God. And you honor your neighbor as well. And so I don't know about you guys, but how many, I mean, there are two great commandments, right? To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then probably some of you are sitting there thinking, well, there's, there's 10 though too, because Moses came down with those tablets, right? Actually, there's 613 in Deuteronomy and all these books of Moses. Um, the Jewish people believe, you know, there's some debate about how many exactly there are, but it's roughly 613 and they can be divided up between man and God and man and his neighbor. And they all descend from these two greatest commandments or even the 10, but to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So here in Deuteronomy, we're sitting with Moses and uh, John and Vanessa, well, Vanessa just read it for us. I'm not gonna read it again because it's long and it's kind of intense, right? <laughs> but basically what we're talking about here in this passage is this Hebrew word stakah, which I also learned from Rabbi Orr this week. Stakah shares this same root word 
with the word justice, um, and it means just giving. So giving in a way that creates justice in your community and in this world. Giving in a way that creates shalom, peace, wholeness for others and yourself. And basically what this complicated passage gets into is, is some is a law, is a kind of a tax code. It's a 10% thing where you're supposed to give your first fruits, your finest um, produce and livestock and agricultural goods, which was the form of currency back then. You're supposed to give those things to God. You're supposed to bring them to the temple and you're supposed to sacrifice them to the Lord there. And so specifically, it talks about caring for the Levites. And who were the Levites? Well, they were the people who lived in the temple. They were people who couldn't own land or they couldn't farm it. They were a whole tribe of people who were consecrated to God. And the rest of Israel was supposed to support them. And you might be wondering, why is that? Well, that is because the people of Israel as a nation all believed that there had to be people in the temple atoning for their sins and sacrificing and consecrating to God on their behalf 24-7 because otherwise... God would be angry because God is holy and they are not, and he would start killing them off as a nation. I realize we've come a long way in our understanding and our relationship of God since the time that this ancient passage was written, right? And so there's a lot of people who like don't really believe in the whole 10% thing anymore. I get that. It's not necessarily the point of today. But if you look further into that passage that Vanessa just read, she t- it talked about how if the distance is too great, you would take it. Um, you would take your produce and your livestock. You could exchange it for money. You could buy goods at the temple and you could feast on them there. It's meant to be a celebration. This giving, this offering to God is meant to be shared with the people in your community. Not only the Levites, but twice every seven years also to be shared with the poor among you, the widows and the orphans. So in short, the spirit behind this whole passage is about giving to your community giving to, to the people who sustain you and who are part of, of who you do life with, right? And so I wonder if maybe Moses was getting at something here about changing from the outside in. Because imagine, right? You are the people that he's speaking to, okay? You have been living in the desert now for 40 years, for four decades. And in fact, it wasn't you who left Egypt, it was your parents who were freed from slavery in Egypt. You are you know, maybe under 20 years old or so, and you were born in the desert. All you know is heat and sand and this dream of this promised land that you've been hearing about since the day you were born. And now go a little further into the future. And finally, the time has come and you're living in the promised land, right? And life is really good. Things are prosperous. You have a roof over your head. You're thriving in life. And the crops are abundant and they're ready to be feasted upon. And you're ready to to enjoy the good things in your life now. And then you're told you need to hold off for a little bit. And you need to take the best of what has been grown and share it with other people. It feels a little, a little off, right? Like, why would God put you through all that suffering and then make you continue to wait and continue to sacrifice in this way? There's this well-known rabbi called Maimonides. You guys might have heard of him. Uh, he stated this about this, this whole idea of just giving. He said, the first of everything is to be devoted to the Lord. And by doing so, we accustom ourselves to limit our appetites for eating and our desire for property. In other words, this commandment that's about you know, this commandment that appears to be between man and his neighbor might just be a commandment that's actually more about man and God. Perhaps in the act of giving, we are learning to be one with the Lord. We are learning to live in a way that's not only good for us 
It's a discipline, right? But also good for others. And I think ultimately it's this reminder of the past that as the people of Israel, as part of God's family, we were once slaves in Egypt and now we are freed because of the Lord. And because of that, God is calling us to honor what he's done for his people by showing compassion and mercy to those who are still in need. This is why we talk so much about justice and generosity around here. But there's some friction in this, isn't there? There's some tension in the fact that I'm (laughs) standing up here right now telling you that God commands you to give to your community, as in God commands you to give to this church. That's what I'm saying. Moses simply calls it out and he says, you know, living under God's way, life will go well for you. This is how it is. And this is his, his dying speech, something he's so passionate about, this whole book of Deuteronomy. But just like the Israelites, Moses knows and God knows that we as human beings, we tend to forget about God when life is good. The world so easily influences us with material things, with money. We often think that our money and our power, that they're self-made, whether we're conscious of this or not. We often think that um, we have the right to choose what to do and to whom and when we give away our resources. And for progressive Christians and for reformed Jews alike, we place a lot of value on understanding our choices, right? We're not slaves to the law anymore. We have freedom in Christ. So we generally believe that there should be a backing of knowledge. We want to deconstruct our faith and understand why we do the things that we do. It's less about the practice and whether or not you've given it thought, right? I would dare say that many of us have unconsciously even used that as an excuse at times to create a response that makes us comfortable with not obeying some of the commands, the mitzvah that God has given to us. In many, fa- in many ways, I think we've justified maybe living off the spirituality of others. Maybe you come to church, but you're content with listening to what somebody else is saying about how God is moving in their life, not necessarily doing the work to have that relationship with the Lord yourself. Maybe you talk a lot about prayer, but how much do you actually pray? Maybe you give to the church, but that's just it, is you give to the church. And that kind of creates this idea that I'm not a part of this, it's separate from me, I just give to it to let others do that work. Others of us don't even give to the church at all. Maybe because of some kind of fear that we have about letting go of our money. Maybe because um, we have some sort of baggage from our past that we're not willing to let go of. For the Jewish people, there is great joy in following the mitzvah. But I think for so many of us as Christians, that joy has kind of been stripped from this idea of following the commandments. You might have grown up in a community that made you feel a lot of pressure or guilt about following the commandments. And maybe there's a lot of fear around this whole conversation for you this morning. But I think the true intention and the spirit behind this text is what we need to live into this morning, this value of community. Because I think what God is trying to teach his people is simply to trust him, to not be dependent on bread or dependent on money or material things, but to to depend on the Lord. The hope was to bring his people to a place of faith so much so that we could then be blessed with material things and our response would automatically be a generous one. Our response would be to create justice, to give away those, ble- those material things in gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. And we see this not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Throughout the epistles and um, throughout the, the letters of Paul and all of that, we see all these examples of how we're being called 
as Christians in the early church to live in community, to live in shalom, to create peace and justice in our world, to take care of each other because ultimately that is how the church grows. So the writer of Hebrews, for example, he wraps up his whole letter summarizing some practical communal values that should be at the heart of any Christian community. He says things about mutual love and genuine hospitality, talks about committed marriages and compassion for the suffering and the oppressed. And then he speaks specifically of freedom from the love of money or contentment, much like what the ancient Jewish forefathers were getting at. But for Christ followers, we have a freedom that goes far beyond obedience to the law. And why is it that we can be free of a love of money? It's because we believe that Christ is with us. And if our communal value is that the love of God is the most valuable thing that we can possess, then it will set us free from loving our money and having anxiety over what money can and cannot get us. It releases us into freedom through Christ, the one who offered himself in full obedience to God so that each one of us might know what it looks like to live a righteous life, a just life, not oppressed by the law, but free to respond to it with love to choose to do good and to make choices that are pleasing to God in this world. It's in Hebrews 13 that we read that through him, through Jesus Christ, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, what we're saying this morning, what we're talking about, and why we're spending some time sharing stories of how community has impacted our lives, of how the generosity and good deeds of others have impacted our lives, is because we want to honor this, this act of generosity and this vision that we all communally share within this organization. When you give to Forefront, you are giving to a community, an organization that shares these communal values, this idea of giving and, and honoring this covenant, this commandment between God and his people. And I would dare say that uh, it's the ordinary things that we do on a regular basis that sometimes have the most impact on our world and on others who are coming in and getting to know who God is through this community. And it's through... Uh, being a church, that we also live out the highest command, the highest vision, version of this idea of just giving. I love what, again, Maimonides says about this. The highest form of giving is when one person helps another to be independent. Kind of like what Juby's story was, actually, just a moment ago. This highest form of giving means that you are allowing someone to be independent, to go on and to do great things, um, separate from the gift that you've given. And I love this because it's at the very heart of, of who we are and, and, and how we decide to live out our generosity as a church. We frequently give out grocery store gift cards and metro cards when people have emergency needs. But again, those are emergency needs. It's the things that we do on a regular basis that really start to matter in the long run. It's things like counseling, which can be emotional, spiritual, or financial counseling, where we have licensed therapists or pastors who meet with people on a regular basis, or events like the Good Sense course, which will get people on their own two feet. There's been incredible stories of how people have found financial freedom because of what they learned at Good Sense. And then for us, especially as a community, we are seeking to be financially independent so that we might be able to do great things and live out this vision in our world. So if you guys remember, if you were here in the spring, we did this giant campaign that we've never done before. We called it Together in This, where we shared incredible stories of how people's lives are changing because of this church. 
And if you weren't here, during that season, we committed collectively as a church in Brooklyn and in Manhattan, we pledged at least $300,000 over the next year to help continue to make this church run. So everything from, you know, this building that we're standing in to our office and our salaries, but also to the ministries and programming um, and to the partnerships that we have with other incredible organizations, all of that is covered by these pledges that our people made. And so I wanna ask you guys this morning, if you were here during that season, how are you doing with that pledge that you made, that commitment you made to giving towards God? How's that going for you? And if you weren't here during that time, I encourage you guys to go to our website and check it out because there's great stories up there and there's a lot you can learn about who we are as a community as well. We've heard so many great stories since that season and we continue to hear great stories like John and Vanessa's, who we heard for the first time when we went to a newcomer's dinner. Our staff loves the newcomer's dinners that we've been doing because it's this wonderful opportunity for us to get to find out just how what we're doing as a community is reaching people and drawing them in and, and allowing the gospel to be heard fresh. Uh, one of the people that we, we heard more about through, well, through the newcomer's dinners and then again through faith, culture, and questions is a person named Sarah New. She joined our church last year through FCQ. And since then, she has been a part of, well, she's leading a small group, and she so values diversity that she's helping to co-host an Asian and Asian American dinner, um, which if you guys identify with that, per, that people group, come talk to me after church. I'd be happy to introduce you guys to Sarah. But people like Sarah are who we're starting to meet, who are coming into our church because of things like FCQ, and I'm really excited about who we're gonna meet this year because of it again. A couple of weeks ago, I preached and we did a centering exercise. Remember, Teresa stood up here and, and centered us before we did scripture. And uh, we actually started doing those things last November with Katie, and we did this 25-minute silence Sunday, that exercise. Was anybody here for that? Yeah? Okay. It was a new thing for us. But we put the exercise up on SoundCloud, of all things, and just last week, Somebody reached out to Ben Grace, our worship director, and told him how much he loved that exercise. He came across it on SoundCloud and it was exactly what he needed that day and it had fed him spiritually and he was incredibly grateful for it. And then he reached out to me as well and connected with our community and even though he doesn't live in New York City, he lives in another state, he's able to connect with a church that believes in a more just and generous Christianity and has been inspired by it, has found God through it something as simple as SoundCloud. It's the, the regular content we're putting out. This is the stuff that's happening within our community that I'm so proud of and so grateful for. This is the stuff that happens when you give, when you follow God's command to invest in the values that you share with this community. To give is to, yes, obey a mitzvah that says, I trust in you, Lord, more than I trust in earthly things. To give is to say, I believe in shalom, I believe in the power of community, I believe in justice for all people, and I believe that God's way is the best way for my life. To give is an act of trust and worship, it's a respond to God's love, that covenant between his people and him. And so this morning, this is the last time that I'm going to be preaching for a while, if you can't tell. Um, and I was a little bit bummed at first because I realized I had to do a giving message. Ugh, who wants to hear those, right? Um, but then I realized it's actually a really great opportunity for me to say thank you to all of you. 
because my last Sunday is scheduled to be November 27th, and we'll see if I make it that far. Kind of hope I don't. Um, but <laughs> once my baby arrives, we will be taking 12 weeks off. Uh, I will get to take 12 weeks off so that I can welcome my son into the world and, and learn to be a family. And I'm grateful to this community because over the last four years, not only do I feel like you all have prepared me for motherhood, <laughs> um, because you've made me a leader, because you've made me a more compassionate and patient person, but also because I'm grateful because I work for an organization that so values life and so values women that I get to take that time off to be with my family. And I don't take that for granted because I realize how many women in our world and in our country do not have that opportunity. So we will honor, my husband, Bobby, and I, we will honor your gifts by raising a son who understands the meaning of mitzvah, the joy in giving, and who understands the love that this community had for him before he was even born. So all that is to say, um, now as we move into a time of communion, Juby's crying over here, um, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. She's going to be crying as she plays a song. <laughs> Um, and we're going to transition into this time where we get to live out this commandment, this communion with God. And I'm going to boldly ask that you guys not only receive this morning, but that you also give. Um, here we are, you know, we're talking about this idea of mitzvah, this celebration of communion, which is represented uh, by, the, by the cracker and by the juice, which are Christ's body and blood for us. It's this time to remember God's grace and mercy for each one of us, God's love for each of us. But it's also this time for us to, to maybe give into the baskets. Um, I want to do offering and communion at the same time this morning so that you might get to take part in that idea of giving and receiving. And so if you already give, um, or if you already give online, you can come join us at the back. You can, you can make a gift for the first time or you can make a recurring gift at the computer back there or you can just simply throw in some change that's in your, your pocket today or some cash that you might have. Do something that maybe doesn't feel normal for you or doesn't feel quite right, but just try it out to see what it would feel like to change from the outside in and participate in a ritual with us of what it feels like to give and to receive this morning. And as we do all of that, I have a meditation or something that you can read on the screen behind me that's inspired by Richard Rohr. I'm not going to pray to close this out this morning. I'm just going to simply invite you to read those words and to pray for yourself and for this community and to allow God to work in you and to respond to how the Lord is working in you, however you feel called this morning during this communion time. Amen. <laughs> 